exciting news, Piers. We're in the news. We're pretty chuffed and humbled to have had Marie Claire Australia recognise our work as a diversity-driven media company in my recent interview with the brilliant Grace Back. In this intimate profile, I recount my move from climbing the corporate finance ladder to building a podcast agency to what it means to be a woman of colour in media. We discuss the challenges of pivoting careers, the Pierce Project's legacy and career-shaping moments since the company's inception in 2018. I'd absolutely love if you could head to the link in this episode's description, read the feature and DM me personally on Instagram to let me know what you think. My Instagram handle is at Misha Kidnor. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, Peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. And we're back with another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Most of us would assume running a seven-figure business would attract a certain kind of confidence, but Xenia Muntine still finds the need to coax hers out of the closet. As the founder and CEO of Planable, a content review and marketing collaboration platform, Xenia works with the likes of Christian Louboutin, the United Nations and Hyundai to take the admin out of content planning. But the role of boss has proven to be less ego-boosting and more soul-searching than she anticipated. In this episode, Xenia breaks down the misconceptions of being a boss, the role fear plays in her day-to-day life, and how confidence isn't something we have, but something we must constantly call for. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Xenia. Xenia, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So, you know, you and I connected recently via LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all of the amazing work that you're doing in the business and the marketing space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, glad to talk. Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Of course. So I'm a founder and CEO of Planable, uh, which is a collaboration platform for social media teams. And I've always been in the industry, in this advertising industry. I studied PR and mass communication. 
I started a social media marketing agency during my uh, university time. And then uh, during my agency, I discovered some of the problems that we're currently solving at Planable. So I've always been an entrepreneur, but at the same time, I have never, never wished or never dreamed of becoming an entrepreneur when I was younger. So that happened by accident in a way, but I, I, quite, uh, I quite do enjoy it. Mm, yeah, no, I love that. And I'm so excited to dive deeper into your business. I mean, oh my goodness, you've created something phenomenal. But, you know, before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Republic of Moldova, which is a tiny, tiny country, two million, two to three million population, very tiny Eastern Europe, post-Soviet uh, country. I, w- I was wondering quite a lot about this question, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about it quite a lot. How does, you know, growing up in Moldova you know, forged me into what I am today. And I think it had a lot to do with that. I think growing up in in Moldova with an economy that is not the best in the world, uh, to be frank, it is actually probably one of the worst economies in Europe. Uh, So growing up in a country like that, you are not dreaming of becoming an entrepreneur because, you know, entrepreneurship is risky. So you don't want to do that. You want to have, you know, a job and stick to it, you know, and, you know, have it for 40 years if possible. Same job, as much security as you can add in your life, you know, the better. But surprisingly, my family didn't live by those standards. My mom has a very entrepreneurial mentality, though she doesn't consider herself an entrepreneur. She has all, you know, she has a steady job and she had a steady job for the past 30 years. But at the same time, she has lots of, I would call them side hustles, <laughs> all kinds of projects and super creative projects like painting uh, t-shirts or at some point in time, uh, together with, with myself, actually, we were build, we were crafting jewelry, uh, handmade jewelry. So all kinds of, you know, creative projects on the side. And I think this mentality of her that you got to do stuff, you got to involve yourself in as many things as possible, because, you know, a job is never going to be enough. So you got to, you, you got to, you know, develop yourself, you got to involve yourself in all kinds of projects, and you got to build opportunities for yourself. I think this type of mentality really really built myself as an entrepreneur without realizing that I, you know, am developing this, this mentality. And I think at the same time, on the other end of it, you know, growing up in an economy that is not the best, uh, you take every opportunity, you get extremely, extremely seriously because you never know if another one is going to come, you know, your way. So you got to make the best out of it. I think, this built me as a very disciplined, a very organized entrepreneur, one that, you know, takes every small opportunity, you know, and makes it a mission almost. Uh, but at the same time, I do have issues with like risk taking, which is extremely important. You got to be able to, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's not the best thing if you're risk adverse. And I am. That's something that I'm struggling with and trying to overcome as a, as a founder. 
Oh my goodness. I find it so interesting. And I just, you know, I think that it just so relates. And I love asking that question because, you know, where we grew up and and what our parents did and that influence, it really does play a huge role. You know, you mentioned that, you know, back in the day, you, you would collaborate on projects with your mom and, you know, did that kind of happen all the way through kind of your teens? And then where did this desire to kind of go into PR, marketing, advertising kind of come from when, you know, the, the time to head to university? came about yeah uh, so I consider my mom my first co-founder <laughs> because because we had this, you know, little, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, she's she's amazing and uh, you know because this project with handmade jewelry that was the first you know venture that I made money with and like serious money for a teenager right I didn't have to ask money from her so that was pretty cool and you know she was by my side you know and we were building it together um, but my desire for advertising, I think it started very, very early on. I think there's three components of my passion for advertising that define it quite a lot. And it starts with writing. I enjoyed writing quite a lot when I was, uh, when I was younger and I had a, a passion for languages. So Moldova uh, has two languages, primarily Romanian, but then also Russian so I speak Russian as well. And, you know, I had a passion to, I, I learned Russian from a very, very young age and uh, I had an affinity for it. And then I, I loved writing in general. I don't do that too much right now, but though I, I, I'd love to go back to it. And then um, we moved from one city to another when I was very young and I didn't, as an introvert, uh, I didn't make too many friends when I moved to that new city. And I spent my summers, my sixth grade, seventh grade summers, uh, learning Photoshop. So, uh, yeah, so that's my passion for design. And then uh, when I was uh, in, in, in high school, I developed quite a big passion for mathematics. And I think all of those things combined, like design, writing, and the analytical side of my brain, it all kind of connected. And I realized that only now, like back then, I didn't have that logic I didn't think like that. Yeah, but now, you know, looking backwards, connecting those dots, it's like, obviously, I would go into advertising, you know, mathematics, design, and writing, it all connects very nicely. And it all, you know, makes total, total sense. And I I started becoming obsessed with advertising when I was in high school, I was reading everything I could about it. And my biggest, biggest dream about it was to work in an ad agency Uh, And, you know, that was like my dream. Someday I will be like chief creative officer or something like that in one of those huge McCann publicist agencies of the world. So, yeah, that's kind of my backstory of my passion for advertising. Mm. Oh my goodness, I love it. I think it's the way you explain it. So I'm just taking it all in. The way you explain the different elements, you know, as you said, I think there is so much value that hindsight can give you and I guess looking back can give you a reflection. You know, at the time you were obviously clearly just following some passion that you had, you know, when you headed into kind of, you know, university and and started really doing the, the actual academics of it all, you know, were you 
very concerned with that or were you more interested about like getting out there into the world and maybe trying to land that dream job at the ad agency? Talk to us about, I guess, the mindset that you were in at that time and I guess maybe one of the key things you learned about yourself during your university days. Yeah, so I didn't care too much about the academics part. Like in the first year, I I grew up with trying to get uh, good grades, though my mom never pushed me in that direction. She never asked me what my grades were. But, you know, growing up in Moldova, I I always, you know, wanted to be the best. Uh, So I tried to get good grades. But even, you know, looking backwards now, I realized that even in high school when I was getting those, you know, good grades, I was most of the times improvising. That means, you know, I didn't prepare that much, but I was good at like swinging it. Um, and I think that's, You're you know, lucky. yeah, and I think, you know, I was reading, you know, I was doing my research, all of that, but I wasn't preparing as much as, you know, you would have imagined I would. And I think, you know, going to, to the university, I realized that I don't care that much about mathematics and also having that a bit of an entrepreneurial background with, you know, building my um, handmade jewelry business. And also doing that. Yeah. And I was also, you know, um, in parallel with that small business, I was also like working. I had like a few jobs uh, on the side, nothing, you know, interesting, nothing fancy. But, you know, I had that experience already. So I felt like sitting on a university bench and listening to professors was not something that was really growing me as an individual. And I tried to diversify it. So I went I got myself into a few student organizations so that I can, you know, build things. And I grew up in the ranks of those student universities. I, I became a VP, which sounds fancy, but it's like a student organization. I became like the VP of marketing or something like that. And uh, I, I was on the board of those student of that student organization. But you know, being there actually led me to found my first serious business, my digital marketing agency, because the general sponsor of that student organization was Coca-Cola in Moldova. And they were looking for someone to manage their social media. And that was a while ago. And, you know, obviously they were looking for like a student, you know, (laughs) someone that could do it cheaply. Uh, And I was, you know, I was like, I I can do it. I'll do it. Anything. You don't even need to pay me. I'll do it. Um, Don't worry. Yes, yeah. Uh, And that's, you know, how how it actually started. You know, I took them and then I I realized that I enjoy doing social media marketing for them. I learned so, so, so much. And in a matter of a year, uh, I had a team of five to seven people and we were doing a, a bunch of things. We were doing branding projects for other clients, web design. So a lot of stuff, uh, not just social media marketing, though that was the primary core service that we were trying to, to develop. And that's, you know, unexpected steps that you make in life that actually lead you to something bigger you would never expect. I find it so fascinating. You know, I think the thing about you that I love and I find interesting is that is that idea of just throwing, almost just throwing yourselves into opportun- yourself into opportunities, you know. I think so many of us, and maybe our peers out there listening are feeling this, you know, many of us are afraid to stuff up and, and to do it wrong and to, to put our hand up, but then, oh my goodness, what if I just completely stuff, like, what if I'm not good enough? You know, where does your, I guess, confidence come from and how can we get better at putting ourselves out there? Oh, that's such a funny question because I do not 
think of myself as a confident individual. I honestly think I do have confidence issues on, on. so yeah, so it's, <laughs> I, I realized that if you, you listen to me, I might sound very brave, you know, just like leaping into opportunities, but it's not like that. I was leaping with fear into opportunities. So I had to coach myself and tell myself that I have nothing to lose. Uh, everything's going to be okay, you know. What's the worst that can happen? So I had to deal with those confidence issues and I'm still dealing with confidence issues even today, you know, building a business that is, you know, seven-figure business and I'm still struggling with with confidence issues. And the only way I found, the only way that helps me to deal with it is just by forcing myself to do stuff that I'm not comfortable with. That's, I feel like the only way is to just put myself out there and then it just becomes it in time you don't feel you're not that much afraid in time it just becomes a thing you do but early on I was I was terrified when I opened my first business it was I didn't even think about it as a business I felt like a project because I didn't want to put the label of business the label of business was like terrifying to me especially because I wasn't you know thinking of myself as an entrepreneur or I wasn't dreaming about that But at the same time, you know, again, growing up in Moldova, you take every opportunity you get and there's not not that much that you can lose, especially at a young age. You don't have a career that you've built and now you've got to, you know, go build a startup and you're not sure if it's going to work out and, you know, you put that career on hold. You know, I was a student and have much to lose. And I did have people, you know, my mom especially, I think she went through so much in her life that, um, you know, she she was the one that like coached me and, and pushed me and told me that, you know, I'm, I'm smart and I'm, I'm going to make it. And if not, you know, who cares? I'm going to figure out the way to land. OK, she always, you know, she went through difficult situations, but she was always figuring it out in the end and landing it, you know, landing OK, basically. And I think she tried to inspire that in, in, in me as well. And I think she succeeded in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I think she definitely did. How can we get better at coaching ourselves? You you got to find like a mantra. You, you <laughs> tell yourself always. I think that's something that uh, I, I try to tell myself. And I ask myself this question, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And I try to, I know that's like a very negative approach, but it, it works in a very weird way for me. I ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? And then I imagine that situation in a lot, a lot of detail. And I like put myself, I live that situation. Or like I, I breathe and, you know, absorb that extremely negative situation. <laughs> God, that sounds horrible, I know. But I, I just, you know, put myself in, 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 in those shoes and I imagine how that would be. And I realize that, it's not that bad, you know, even that worst case situation, it's, it's not that terrible. And that I probably tend, I, I also know something about myself that I tend to exaggerate things. So I know that, yeah, you know, I probably exaggerate this worst case situation as well. So, you know, that's, that's how I get myself comfortable with doing, you know, with deciding difficult things. But you got to find, you know, that question or that mantra or that thing you say to yourself either if it's what's the worst thing that can happen or either you know reminding yourself of all your past wins reminding yourself of 
how good you are, the skills, you know, the things you went through and the fact that you always, you know, you always find it and figure it out for yourself. I think those are the, you just got to find what to tell to yourself and, um, you know, kind of like a pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love those pep talks. I know yeah. it's it's actually so important. I think, you know, so many of our peers out there listening, really taking that in. I mean, I know I am, you know, there are times where, you know, you can just think, oh my goodness, this is a upward battle. And especially now during this COVID period, those of us in business, those of us starting hustles, side hustles, whatever it may be, you know, and I think it's just so important and it's just such a great rem- reminder. Amazing. So I'd love to dive now a bit um, deeper into the story. So, you know, you're a 20, you've started this like social media marketing company. It's going really well for you. You know, you've you've got five people working for you. It's all happening. You're working through the fear. You know, what happens next? You know, how does that then lead to, I guess, you know, the idea for Planable, which happened in 2016? You know, talk to us about that transition period there. Sure. Um, So, I was, I think I built my agency. I was leading my agency for about three years before I started Planable. And what I realized building my agency and working day to day was that so many people go into creative roles, imagining one thing about marketing and then realize that it's, it, it does include a lot, a lot of tedious work. And that's not what I wanted to do. You know, I, I found myself one day building that agency and realizing that I do so much admin work and so much just not what is not, you know, why I went into marketing in the first place. One problem that I found was just the operational things that happened, you know, behind content marketing specifically. And I'll I'll give you an example, like for, for example, with Coca-Cola, the way we were, um, the way we were working on what is called in the industry editorial calendars, basically the series of posts that are going to, you know, go out on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And we were building them up for the next week or for the next month. And the, the entire process of presenting those editorial calendars to clients, collaborating on those editorial cl- uh, calendars inside the agency with my, uh, with my peers, with my colleagues, that was a very clunky and very cumbersome process. It was all happening in a spreadsheet, in, a, in an Excel file. We were having like one row was copy, another row was image, another row was the publishing day, and you know a bunch of other rows for all kinds of details that you had to plan. And we were spending so much, we were spending our lives in that Excel. And that's not the kind of life we were imagining as marketers. And I realized in time that that's, you know, it's not just us. There's so many marketing teams out there that are struggling and are spending their lives in those cells uh, and those uh, spreadsheet cells and the entire back and forth that went into coordinating that content. Like we were sending that Excel via email to clients. They were, you know, calling us back and telling us feedback or sending a separate document or feedback or commenting in the email and just trying to centralize and piece together the feedback with the posts they were referring to. That was uh, that was a problem in itself. Just trying to match feedback to and centralize feedback, and we realized that it's just first of all it's time wasting, and second, it is extremely extremely boring. 
together with my co-founders. They also work in the advertising industry. They, you know, saw the problem firsthand, just as myself. And, we, you know, we decided to do something about it. And uh, we built Planable to take all the boring out of a social media marketer's day and optimize the things, streamline the process. Since then, you know, since we started the company uh, four years ago, we've been helping, uh, you know, brands such as Jaguar, Land Rover, United Nations, uh, Christian Louboutin to just simplify the way they work on content and uh, make it a bit more delightful and a bit more pleasant to be a social media marketer. And yeah, the platform offers them a very visual way to plan posts for uh, social media. Uh, an extremely collaborative environment where they can share feedback, approve content, iterate on content. There's, you know, obviously all kinds of things like version history. If they want to go back to a previous version of that content. So it really enables and empowers the social media team to be extremely collaborative, build better ideas, brighter ideas together. And also there's a security element to it. You know, there's... <laughs> So many brands out there that have published the wrong thing on social media just because there was no one looking. You know, there's multiple examples from H&M to McDonald's to so many brands out there that, you know, pushed, you know, uh, a post live and it was not supposed to go live. Planable does help with that because there's some safety mechanisms in place for that. So, yeah, that's kind of the story of what we do with Planable and, and how we got to uh, to start it. It's so interesting. I think, you know, I think the thing I, I find most fascinating is is the fact that, you know, you are, you are a marketer and you're a great marketer, but, you know, building a platform, it, it's like tech involved. There's <laughs> like, you know, you're in a completely different space. You're looking at like SaaS. Like, talk to us a little bit about, you know, from the idea that you had with your co-founders, you know, a little bit about those first few steps you took really to get it off the ground? Sure. Uh, so I think the first thing we did, we were very, very lucky to be discovered by um, a startup accelerator that invited us to be a part of their program. And we went through that accelerator for about four months. We built the product, you know, from zero. We had only like a few wireframes a few mock-ups of how we imagine the product is going to look like. And in four months, we built our first, first version. I think I have some screenshots somewhere. And whenever I look at them, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm embarrassed. Uh, but, you know, there's a saying that if you're not embarrassed when you launch, you know, your first uh, version of your product, you launched, you know, you're launching too late. Uh, yeah. yeah, so, uh, you know, that's what we did. We, we launched it. We were also forced to launch very, in a way we were forced to launch because the program had, you know, like this demo day at the end and we had to present it to a team. We had to present it to a jury and uh, in front of an entire audience in a, in a, in a conference. Um, and I think that forced us to go fast. Uh, we launched it on all kinds of beta communities. There's beta websites like betapage, betalist.com. Uh, and we, we launched it there. We got a few beta users, a few hundred beta users that were you know, giving us feedback. And I think that is crucial to do in the beginning. Just have an audience that gives you feedback uh, because you want to validate that uh, you know, you're building something that people will, will want and something that people will love. 
we were our ideal users uh, ourselves, considering the fact that I had a social media marketing agency. I, I knew the problems firsthand. But at the same time, you got to validate, even if you're in a lucky situation as I was myself, you know, knowing the problems of the industry that I'm trying to build something for, even in that situation, you got to you gotta validate it with your audience. Maybe it's just something locally. Maybe it's just something in your specific business. Maybe it's something extremely niche. So you got to validate it. You got to, you know, you got to talk with as many people as possible, get feedback from them. And it's also a good, you know, you start building your user base and you start building potentially future prospects that will buy from you. So you got to talk with as many prospects and, and leads as possible from, you know, from the from early on. We started talking with people even when we didn't have like a product, when we had ideas, when we had just mock-ups and we were showing them. And, you know, one thing, you might win a future customer or you might win an advisor, a mentor, someone to support you, someone to recommend you to someone else. And I think that is, you know, just networking as much as possible, especially that, you know, when you're very, when you're at the beginning, you think you have a lot to do. But you don't have that much to do, actually. <laughs> like looking backwards, I realized that I was not as busy as I was imagining. You know, so you do have a bit more time than than you will ever have <laughs> if it go if it goes well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the thing I find fascinating about you and and what you've been able to build here is really from even from the beginning with Coca Cola through to you know with that big brand name through to now where you're working with you know, huge brand names as part of, that are on the platform, you know, as your clients, you know, how do you do that? How do you go out there and actually bring on board the brands like those? Yeah. So when you're a very, very early stage company, you don't have that much brand reputation to rely on. So you got to build that network that we, you know, we just talked about. You got to connect with as many people that support you, trusting you, and can help you with their own network, can introduce you to other companies, can put in a good word for you. And I think that is extremely crucial very early on. If you're not someone that worked at Google or Facebook for 20 years and are now starting a startup, and you don't have a network that is, you know, already existed, uh, existing, if you're like me, super young, uh, you know, had like a small business or worked somewhere else, and you're starting this, you know, uh, a startup for the first time, you got to build that network. You got to connect with as many people as possible. You uh, got to go through an accelerator or two. Those are good places to open doors to, corp- you know, to corporates like that. They do have partnerships with corporates. They can put you in touch with, you know, VPs and, and someone from those companies. And I think that's, that's the way we did it, you know, just through intros and just through people that believed in our product and were willing to recommend us further. And then when we started growing a little bit, uh, we started putting some uh, marketing efforts and marketing mechanism in in place. And some brands that we acquired, some of those big name brands that we acquired, they actually came through those marketing mechanisms that we put in place, like social media marketing and just content marketing. Uh, We started building our own brand As a company, we started investing in um, SEO and content and in our blog. And I think that all created a lot of word of mouth. Started, you know, very small in the beginning, like a snowball. It just adds up and it just adds up. And uh, in time, it does bring results. 
Um, and, you know, one of the big name companies that we have on, on our website, one of those big profile logos actually came, you know, from Twitter. They were asking, you know, is, does anyone know a great tool for content approval and collaboration? And someone else recommended us, someone else that was not a friend of ours or a mentor of ours, but someone else that tested the product at some point in time. It was not the right, you know, it was not the tool for them, but they did really enjoy it. And then once someone asked, you know, they recommend it. And I think that all, you can't see direct results from content marketing and social media. Uh, it's really hard to make an, an ROI, a return on investment on, on that one. But it does lead to results long term. You know, in business, we always talk about, you know, in the long run, we have to stick in it. You know, in the early days, nothing really, you know, really happens. You know, for you when you were building this in those early days, and it is so tough to hang in there, you know, what, how did you stay motivated? You know, what were, what are the things that you did to kind of stay in the game when no one was using your product, when no one knew who you guys were or what, what you were about? You know, what were some of the things that you did and what was your experience with that? Yeah, I always say that entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. So you have your highs and you have your lows and we've had some very low lows. Having those high highs is what motivates you when you're in the low period and the highs that I remember were, especially in the beginning, I think we had a strong, strong beginning. Going through an accelerator, we had lots of mentors in that accelerator that supported us and hyped us. And we went in there, I went in there considering that this is like a great opportunity, a great life opportunity that I got to take, you know, going back to what my mom taught me and <laughs> the mentality coming from Moldova. So I, I, I took it. But then we went there and the mentors were so hyped about us. They, you know, and not necessarily just about the product, but us as founders. And I was, I was totally surprised about that. I, you know, and I was like, okay, if these people that are like super, you know, experts in their industry, they have built amazing companies. If they trust us, you know, I got to trust myself as well. So and that, you know, probably bumped my confidence a little, you know, a tiny bit. And it, it did help a lot. And, you know, being hyped and being supported by them so, so much, that helped me in my lows. You know, I could all, always think about them and I, can always, I could always tell myself, you know, if they believed in me, if they thought, you know, I can do it, there is, you know, a big chance I can, you know. You know, look, I have, the, I have this entire support system. So, you know, even though I wasn't necessarily talking to them, but that's something you could also do, you know, talk to your support system, to talk to your past mentors as much as you can when you're in a low. I did have a few, you know, people that were like supporting me in, in, in our worst periods of time. But just remembering that there's so many people that believe in us and put their faith in us. Even if, you know, those people don't necessarily think about you in, in that point in time, if, even if they're not like next to you at that point in time, just the idea that you had in at some point in time people that supported you and and like pushed you forward i think that that helped us tremendously to just go through those lows and and we've had some very bad lows what has been your biggest low or greatest failure in this entrepreneurial journey today oh god i think the biggest law was we went through a second accelerator which was a very prestigious one called Techstars in London uh, it's probably one of the top accelerators in the world for startups uh, definitely the best accelerator in Europe 
And we went through that accelerator. And the thing about highs and lows is that if it can go well, as I described it, but it also can go very bad. Like if you get a low, an extremely low low after high, you're like, wow, I'm going to disappoint all of those people. So it depends on what like mind frame you are, but it can go well and it can go bad. And it's, with Texas, it actually went you know, bad because Texas being such a huge thing, we went through the accelerator. And uh, during the accelerator, we actually launched the product officially on Product Hunt and we started monetizing it. We got our first customers, we got our first handful of customers, and then we stopped going. We were like stagnant for a long period of time and we were stagnant in a bad you know, point, not like stagnant doing a million a year, like stagnant doing you know, $200 a month. So that was, that was you know, a bad point uh, in time for us because we just went through the best program in the world. And we couldn't do anything. And it, it was a pressure that I had to deal with. And, you know, the money was running, you know, though we couldn't monetize it. We couldn't grow the revenue. We were, it was just us, the co-founders, and we had our first employees. So we were four in the company and it felt like, and also we, you know, built the product for a, a year and a half. So we've put our souls and sweat and tears into it for such a long period of time to see that it's not like bringing revenue and that was soul crushing <laughs> and yeah it felt like I, I, I couldn't see the you know the light at the end of the tunnel really I couldn't see how can we you know uh, get out of that situation how can we make it work probably that is definitely I would say my, my worst glow yeah how do you stay sane during the lows? <laughs> um, <laughs> very tough. <laughs> you don't. Uh, you get. I. Yeah. I. I didn't. <laughs> but uh, you're gonna lose your mind a little bit, a tiny bit of your mind. You are gonna lose it. But uh, you do survive it, especially if you're not a single founder. If you have co-founders, just talking about it, being transparent about it just you know trying to talk to other people as much as you can going back to your mentors i think talking it out like therapy almost but with you know with professionals in your industry and you know small wins celebrating every small win as uh, ridiculous as it is that small win you got to celebrate it and when you're on such a low because you need something to build you up to lift you up so those are the only things it's it's tough i mean it's it's really hard to survive it and i think that's the inflection point where most of the companies you know fail and just the resilience and i think that's the resilience again again going back to your first question about moldova <laughs> you know what doesn't kill you make you stronger and uh, you know the the politics and the economy of moldova and everything that's going on and every you know my childhood i think it 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 does build a kind of resilience where you can go through hardships a bit more easily than you would go uh, if you know if you'd have a different storyline in, in the beginning of your life. So yeah, I guess just you know grinding through it is the only way and celebrating every single every small thing you can. Mm. I love that. And I'm sure your mom was like standing on the sidelines being like, no, you can do this. You've got this. Like, There's no way you're quitting now. Yeah. We absolutely love our moms for that. 
Yeah. Amazing. Oh my goodness. It's been, Xenia, it's been just, your story is so fascinating. And I honestly could just sit here and listen to you all day. It's so interesting. But I am mindful of your your, your time. And so I've got a couple of last few questions. I think I firstly, you know, love to say, you know, over the last several years in, in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've, you've received so much recognition for your work. You've been featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. You've published a book and, you know, you've spoken on world stages. You know, what are the three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? As cliche as it would sound, the first one is never give up. And never give up in a way that, like, think about it. As long as you survive, as long as you continue, you're going to make it at some point in time, right? Like, as long as you grind through it, as long as you continue going, as long as you survive, at some point in time, you're going to make it work. And in one way or another, maybe it's going to be a totally different business, but you are going to make it work as long as you survive and as long as you go through it. That's how I think about, like, never giving up. And not necessarily like never give up on that specific idea that you have in mind, but like never give up on like continue building something and growing and and pushing forward. A second advice would be invest in relationships, but like real relationships, not LinkedIn connections, but like real, real relationships and give first. That's like the mantra of Techstars. Give first, you know, give some value first, invest in those relationships even when you're not seeing something you can get out of it, like invest in it, you know, it's, it's going to pay off at some point in time. And then the last one would be, uh, be very careful with who you surround yourself. Uh, I think that's an advice regarding culture and the type of culture you build in your business. Be very, very careful who you hire first. Like your first five hires are crucial. And, uh, you know, you got to, Hire people that you are willing to spend, you know, 12 hours a day, especially very early on, that you're willing to go out for drinks every Saturday. Uh, you Almost like friends in a way, but not in that regard, like talented people that you enjoy, enjoy spending time with, uh, that challenge you and that, you know, just compliment you in a way. And uh, yeah, my, my, my thought, you know, I'm thinking generalists, like very early on, you got you to gotta hire generalists because you got to be versatile in a startup. Everyone needs to be able to do a bunch of different things. But uh, be mindful of who you surround yourself with very early on. Look, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you and all of the phenomenal work that you've done and that you're doing for showing us, you know, and particularly us women that, you know, if we've got this ambition, you know, if we've got this quote unquote dream that we can actually go out there and make it happen for ourselves. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. So look, the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Life meaning, yeah. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just feeling like you're building something that will last, that will outlast, uh, outlast you. I think, yeah, just finding your meaning. uh, That's the only one. And also I think uh, something that I'm thinking quite a lot about building your own business and pursuing your own passion, your own dream, 
gives you the opportunity to pick who you work with, what people you surround yourself. And uh, I think, you know, that's probably the biggest advantage of building something of your own. Xenia, ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness, we have had a blast. Thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you and Planable? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can check Planable out on our uh, website. It's planable.io, P-L-A-N-A-B-L-E.io. And then uh, if you want to connect with me, I spend my time on LinkedIn. So send me a a connection request, mention you heard me uh, in Michelle's podcast, and uh, I'm more than happy to chat with you guys. Love it. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again. It's been so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.